0: There's one verse in this text this morning that for me is one of the most terrifying texts. Um, and I'll read uh, that text and that text alone. It comes out of Daniel chapter 5, uh, verse 24 through 28. That this, Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many teckle parsons. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many. God has numbered the days of your kingdom have brought you in to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed, and in the balance have been found wanting. Parsons, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Maybe be blessed by the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Uh, we'll have a lot to cover this morning, but here's the deal with the text. This morning, Daniel chapter 5. We'll finish next week, Daniel chapter 6. We'll be done with Daniel, and then for the summer we'll head into uh the the psalms the, the sermon title for this summer is called taste and see uh there's a, a psalm that says taste and see that the lord is good and I, I hope that's what we'll do for the summer taste and see that the lord is good but this morning here in daniel chapter 5 here's the the, the picture of what's going on what's happening on the inside isn't what's going on in the outside So that's the scenario that we have. We have some 30 or 40 years between chapter 4 and chapter 5. So there's a a wide swath of time that's been taking place. Uh, As we look last week, Nebuchadnezzar came to know Christ, and then uh, through these last 30 uh, or 40 years, uh, the scholars say that there's been a number of different kings that have been established or put into place. And so here... Uh, is a long history of God doing what he said he was going to do and break down the kingdoms we saw that in chapter two Uh, here in chapter five he's going to bring it to an end he's finally going to bring great Babylon to an end so I'll I'll get to the point Uh, Babylon as we know it on this day uh, ends the greatest uh, at that time the greatest empire that had ever been in a moment of time ends overnight basically it ends and that's where we're at in this text and so here is Belshazzar as Jared said he is uh, uh, most likely the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar and so he's sitting on the throne uh ruling all over uh the the, the most powerful empire in the world now remember How great and magnificent Babylon was. It has one of the, at the time, had one of the seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens. How beautiful that was. And then it was just a normal, peaceful night. The scholars say it was in October, October 12th to be exact. So it was just a normal, regular night for the king. And yet, this is what it says in verse 1 it says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for thousands of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. And so here's the picture. He knows, and we'll see this in a moment, he knows that that the Medes and the Persians are coming. They've kind of been making their way uh, through the world up to Babylon to conquer Babylon to become the most powerful uh, empire in the world. And so Belshazzar knows that. And so what does he do? He throws a party. He throws a party. You may be thinking, what does King Belshazzar throw this great feast for, this great banquet for i I think we can say there's maybe two or three different things maybe it was just to to rally the troops and say hey we got this to show how powerful they were to give confidence to the city to give confidence to the army i don't know if you've ever done that you you are about to do something big and so you throw this big party to celebrate even before it happens that's one of the scenarios that could have happened maybe it was that he thought that he was going to die and so he's like man I'm just going to waste it all because I know they're coming I know I'm going to die or maybe it's this last one maybe he's just so oblivious because of his pride I believe it's the last one I believe King Belshazzar was so oblivious to what was going on on the outside because he was a prideful man You, you see, when he was in the kingdom he was in the most fortified city in all the world it had two walls that separated the kingdom from the outside wall. It was so massive, it said that three chariots could go on top of the wall and ride around in circles. That is a massive wall. There was no way into the city if the jawbridge wasn't open, except for one way. The great river, the great Euphrates River, ran directly through the city, to provide all that the city needed so there's only one real way into the city but in his ignorance and his defiance he thought there's no way so we'll throw a party we'll throw this big feast and yet little does he know in just a few short hours we see this in the last verse he's killed by the medes and the persians you see, what's happening on the outside in this moment as this huge party's going on, on the inside is that the Medes and Persians are damming the water to the Euphrates so that they can then go into uh, where the riverbed is and crawl underneath the wall to do an, a sneak attack. And in his pride and arrogance, he thought, no way. That's impossible. That can't happen. And yet we'll see, it does happen. A surprise sneak attack and one moment in time that the whole empire of babylon fell because one prideful man he wasn't getting ready for the attack he was throwing this huge party it says what does it say in verse one there's a great feast for a thousand of his lords and he drank wine in front of them not only was it the lords that were there it says for the wives and the concubines. This is a massive party that's going on. Most scholars say that it was becoming, it was going to become a drunken orgy. So here's this king that wants to uh, satisfy his body sexually through wine to uh, take advantage of all these people, gets thrown overboard, literally, is killed. And so there's a few things that we must look at this text. The first one is, as believers, we must avoid profaning, profaning God's holy name. Right? So this is what it says. It says this in verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for all the thousands and the lords, and they drank wine in front of the thousands. And then in Belshazzar's arrogance, his pride, it says when he had tasted the wine, he commanded the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem he brought in that the kings, the lords, the wives, the concubines might drink from them. And then they brought the golden vessels in that they had been taken out of the temple of the house of God and Jerusalem the kings and the lords and the wives and the concubines drank from them and they drank wine and they praised the gods of the gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And so two things we must look at this morning the first thing is the arrogance of belshazzar how arrogant he was to think i'm going to throw a party i'm going to have all this wine and all this sexual behavior going on and then i'm going to take the things of god and bring them into this party that's pretty arrogant you see, we've got to remember how important these items were. You and I can just read it. Oh, they were just a few golden cups. No, no. The things of God are important. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Re- remember the story that the, 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 covenant, the, the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen. And Daniel or David and his people go back and they capture the, the Ark of the Covenant. And they're bringing back the holy things of God to the city of God. And you remember the the story that they're bringing it back in and and David and his men didn't obey what God had told them to do. Hey David, don't put it on a cart, but see those those rings, you're going to put some poles in those rings and you're going to carry it all the way back. But David in his arrogance said, no, we're going to put it on a cart and we're going to just make it easy on us to bring the things of God back to the city of God. And then you remember what happened. They hit a pothole, I guess, or they were uh, riding with, Uh, Larry on his tractor, right? Uh, Mr. Charlie, remember that yesterday? That was a rough ride. I told you he was making it into the sermon today. I made that promise yesterday. And so here's this cart with the things of God on it, and they're bringing the things of God into the city of God. They hit a pothole. And remember, one of the guys, what does he do? He sees the ark falling. What does he do? He tries to catch the ark. And in that very moment... The holiness of God killed the man. So here's what we're talking. We're not talking about some golden cups. We're talking about the very things of God, the vessels of God that God would have God's people use to worship him. And yet this arrogant king says, hey, I know we have all these cups and all these things, but there's something we're not using. Let's go get the things of God and desecrate the things of God. You know, and that could be for us like, oh, well, you know, we don't have God's golden cups. We don't have the the goblets. No, we have something way better than that. It's what Paul says about each of us. We are now the temple of God. God's Holy Spirit dwells in us. And I would ask you this morning, church, are we so arrogant and ignorant in our own selves that we don't see that as believers, that the very presence of God dwells in us? Or do we take the thing of God that God has given us, our bodies, and and we desecrate those things, our bodies? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, a person sins against his own body. For you do not know that your body is what? A temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is in you whom you have from god you are not your own you were bought with a price so glorify god with your bodies and so we have something much greater than some golden uh, goblets we have the temple of god and the holy spirit resides in our temple this is what he says again and paul says in first uh, thessalonians 4 3 through 6 for this is the will of god your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of the lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all things. And we told you beforehand the solemn, and solemnly warned you. you. You see, church, this morning, are we like Belshazzar? Have we taken the most valuable thing that God has given to us, our bodies? And I, I mean our physical bodies that now house the greatest thing that's ever been given to us, the Holy Spirit. And do we use our bodies in that manner? Or do we use our bodies the same way that Belshazzar used the golden goblets? That's the first thing. His arrogance profane the holiness of God and the things of God. The second way that he uh, profaned the things of God was that he, in his ignorance and in his arrogance, he profaned the holiness of God, what through idolatry. That's what it says in verse four. "And they drank wine out of these goblets, and what did they do as they were drinking? They praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So they took the things of God and, and, and desecrated those. And now through that desecration, they are desecrating the worship of God. I wonder, church, for us, do we believe that to be true about ourselves? When we take the thing of God, the body of God, and we, we profane it before the, the Lord God, and that, therefore, we are worshiping whatever we're doing with our bodies. If we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something or someone. And therefore, if we're doing that, we're in direct disobedience and we're in idolatry. Here's what God says about idolatry. God will take no second seat to anything or anyone. Psalm forty ten says this. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I do not conceal your steadfast love or your faithfulness to the congregation. This is what David's saying. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give all you the praise. This is what he says in Psalm 96 verse 4 and 5. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. God will not give his worship to another. We're going to see that here in a moment. All the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48, 11 says this, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. He's talking about the worship of himself. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. You see, when we take the thing of God, our bodies, and we begin to use them in inappropriate ways, we're worshiping something, and God is saying to us through this passage, that I don't take second fiddle to anyone. I take no second seat to anyone. I'm the God of gods. I'm the Lord of lords. You will know that. He's true in his word where he says, at one point in time, every kneel will bow before the holiness of God. And so my question to you and to me this morning is simply this. What's going to wake us up to that? How's God going to grab your attention this morning? Because he's going to grab our attention. He makes that plain in the scripture. He will give himself no second seat to anyone nor are we able to do that and there will be a point in your time in my time that God's going to say enough is enough we talked about that last week he's either going to bring us and allow us to humble ourselves before him or he's going to bring us to a place of humiliation because there is there are no other gods before him and we see that happen in this text God gives an answer to that. God wakes up Belshazzar. The saddest part is he's not really ever woken up. That's the saddest part of this story. It says immediately, immediately after these people, the thousands and thousands in, in this palace are worshiping other gods, God said enough is enough is enough. And it says immediately when they began to worship other gods, he steps in and it says this immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace at opposite of the lampstand and the king saw the hand as it wrote and then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him his limbs give, gave way his knees knocked together verse 7 the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters the Chaldeans the astrologers and the king declared to the wise men whoever reads the writing and shows me the interpretation Will be clothed in purple and given a chain of gold around his neck. And he shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. You see, the second thing comes in this text is we must, we must acknowledge God's infinite wisdom, God's infinite holiness, God's sovereignty. We must do that. You, you see, look at what happened to the king. The king is given an answer by God. He's suddenly frightened. It says this, that it literally means he wet himself. When it says his knees knocked, his limbs give way, meant he wet himself. That's how terrified he was. So in front of all these people, he sees the writing on the wall and he freaks completely out. I don't know about you, but if I saw some hand writing on the wall, it freaked me completely out. And here's the beautiful thing that we got to see in this text. If you're in the king's palace, the way the king's palace was set up, it was whitewashed walls, and over those whitewashed walls were the triumphant history of Babylon, it says. That's what scholars say. That, that, that artist would come in and, and paint this huge mural of how powerful Babylon was. And where does God put his hand? Over top of all of their power? Because he will, give him, he will give no second seat to anyone. So he writes across their history and says, it's not really your history, it's me. Remember, we always will go back to the sovereignty of God. You think you did all this? And God said, no, no, my handwriting's been on it the whole entire time. And then in that moment, uh, he sees and he calls for help. And no one can come. He says, here's what's happening. If you can come and you can read this wall, and you can interpret the wall, and his freaked out state, I'll let you be the third most powerful person in the kingdom. And it says that he comes, and then the, the enchanters come into the room. After his color changed, after he freaks out, then all the king's wise men came in, but they what? they could not read the writing and make known to the king its interpretation. Then the king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed again. And the lords were perplexed. And then in this moment, in this chaos in the palace, there's one woman that remembers the wisdom and sovereignty of God. There's one woman in all the kingdom that remembers the sovereignty of God. Right? It says that in verse 10. It says in the queen... Because of the words of the king and the lords came into the banquet hall. And the king declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom what? The spirit of the holy God rests. You see, there's one woman that remembers the infinite wisdom of God. And he's trying, she's going to come into the the palace. She's going to try to point Belshazzar back to the infinite wisdom of God. Here's Daniel. At this point, he's an 80-year-old man. He's not partying. He's not part of this celebration. He's not part of what's going on. He's not even part of the people that got called in to, to make known to the king. I don't know where he's at. My thought is when you read Daniel chapter 6, my thought says he's probably in his house praying the way he did in chapter 6. He was a man of great prayer. And I think Daniel knew what was going on on the outside. And I think Daniel was a godly man. And so this is my thought. It's not in the text. I'm just giving you the thoughts as I read this. I believe that Daniel was in his prayer closet praying that God would have mercy on the city. That's what what I believe. When I look at the characteristics of Daniel. Here's Daniel where all this party is going on. He's away praying. Praying to a sovereign holy God that God would bring deliverance. And so the queen speaks up. It's most likely his grandmother. It's most likely, it's not his wife because we know it's not his wife because it says the wives and the concubines were part of the celebration. So it's most likely that its grandmother was in the other room. And in the other room, she hears all the chaos, all the commotions, and she comes in with all of her prestige and all of her power and says to the king, hey, listen up. There is a guy in your kingdom. king. There is a guy that can interpret your dreams because the holy god rests on him said it last week i'll say it again to you and to me do people know that you follow christ do people know that you follow a holy god can people see that in your life and are pointing not to you they weren't pointing to daniel they were pointing she was pointing back to god's holiness god's sovereignty god's spirit being in him is that true for you and me so then we see the king's response. Still arrogant, still prideful. So she goes on to say about uh, the rest of the story. And then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered Daniel. Look how the king answered Daniel. R- remember, he just saw God's hand right on the wall. He's terrified. He's freaked out. He's already wet himself twice, most likely. And then it says this in his pride and his arrogance. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. He shames Daniel publicly. That's a very racist statement in in that text. He doesn't point to Daniel, hey, Daniel, you're the man that that came before my granddad and and put out God's holiness in front of him, and because of your great word, my grandfather repented. No, he said, aren't you that guy that my granddad brought in as a slave who are you he shames him You still see a very ignorant prideful man And they said i heard that you had the spirits of the gods in you and the light of understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you he's saying he heard it he would have seen it this is the grandson of the king he would have been a part of the process. He would have seen that happen. He would have seen that go on. And he says, I just kind of heard about it. You see how prideful and arrogant Belshazzar still is? And he says to Daniel, hey, if you do all these things, I'll give you all this clothes in verse 16. He says, I'll, I'll give you a purple coat. I'll give you a... A golden, a, a golden necklace and I'll make you the third highest in all the land. The, the purple uh, robe is that of, of royalty. It has great significance. The gold chain is that of royalty. And he says, I'll make you third, the most, third most powerful man in all the world. And this man has the same response that Jesus had in his temptation. All right, look look what he says look at daniel says in verse 17 then answered daniel answered and said before the king let your gifts be for yourselves and give your rewards to another he says i don't need your stuff you, you can't bribe me you you can't convince me you can't win my favor like all your stuff isn't going to change what i'm going to tell you remember daniel's before the king Remember, Daniel has history of being with wicked kings, of watching people die because of him, watching his friends, hearing about his friends being thrown into the furnace. And so in that moment of great boldness and clarity, Daniel says, I don't want your stuff. You you cannot bribe me, and you definitely cannot bribe God. And Daniel comes in and remains himself and tells him, he says this, nevertheless, I'll read the writing for the king and make known its interpretation. O king, the most high God. Gave, and he goes back and retells the greatness of who God is. Like, hey, let me remind you of who I am and let me remind you where I come from and who I come from. I'm that guy that's been sent by the holy God of the universe and this is what happened to your granddad through the God of gods, the Lord of lords. giving a testimony of the power and sovereignty of God and then it says but when his heart was lifted he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar his heart was lifted and the spirit was uh was hardened so that he was dealt proudly he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him and then he was driven out from the children of mankind and his mind was made that of a beast and his dwelling was of wild donkeys He Fed of grass like the ox. And his body is wet with the dew of heaven. Until what? Until he knew. Most high. The most high God. Rules the kingdom of mankind. And sets over it. Whom he will. Until he, you see the sovereignty of God. And believe in the sovereignty of God. King Nebuchadnezzar would have never come to repentance. And he goes on and it says this. And You. Or but you, his son, have not humbled your heart the way he humbled his heart. Though you knew all this, but you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of the house that have been brought in before you, you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drank out of them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you do not see or hear or know but the God in whose hand is in your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. He's saying, hey, Belshazzar, whether you like it or not, God has you in his hand. He holds your very breath. He is sovereign in control of all that is going on. And you have not humbled yourself to say to, just like your granddad did, that there is a God that's much bigger than me. You have not humbled yourself. And because you have not humbled yourself and given him honor, this is what it means, the writing on the wall. And then from this, his presence, the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. says, this, this is the writing that is inscribed. Many, many, tickle parsons. This is a, 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 a series of value. These three things have value in them from least to most, from least to greatest is is how the writer's saying it so he's saying hey these things it's going to get worse for you it starts off this but it gets worse the word many simply means this it's a verb that means numbered tekel means to be weighed and parsons means to be divided and that's what he does he says God has numbered your days and your reign God is in control your days are numbered Belshazzar that's the first thing God wants you to know That your reign is about to come to an end. And in that, he's saying, hey, humble yourself because you are no longer going to be the greatest. And then he says to them, this is the most terrifying verse for me, the the line in all of scripture that I pray has never said about any of us in the room. Tekel, it means to be weighed. He's saying, God says, he's put you on the scales and you've weighed and you've come up short. Like, here's the holiness of God, Belshazzar. And God put you on his scale of holiness. And when he placed you with his holiness, you came up lacking. That is terrifying to me. He's saying, you don't have enough. You can't cover enough, Belshazzar. You've come up lacking. The way the scales have been tipped the other way. And then lastly, he says this. Your kingdom is divided. Your kingdom will go to the Medes and to the Persians. And then it says this, after he said this to him, then Belshazzar gave the command to Daniel and was clothed with, uh, clothed him with purple, a chain of gold, and put it around his neck. And the proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in all the kingdom. And this is how the verse ends. This is how the chapter ends and I hope it doesn't end this way for us verse 30 and 31 that very night Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom and he was about 62 years of age I mean that's how it ends the promise of God came to fruition that very night he said to him hey these three things have happened to you Your days are numbered. You've been found wanting. And your kingdom's going to be divided. And those three things are true about us today, church. If if it's without Christ, all of our days with Christ are numbered. All of us are going to face death. We come into this world, and the promise that all of us will face one day is death, correct? So all of our days are numbered. He says this, the, 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 the third one, our kingdom will be divided. God's going to give away all your stuff. But my hope is for us, the second one does not have to be true. The second one is true for every human being on the planet. When we're born and we live this life without Christ, we're going to be put on a scale. And that scale will always come up short. All of us in the room, without christ you're going to be put on the scale and for all of us in the room it's going to say on your final day when your days are numbered and you die you're going to go before the holiness of god he's going to put you on the scale he's going to look at the scale and he's going to say hey you didn't have what it took you've been found wanting but church that didn't have to be true for us today because of what christ did for every single one of us on the cross because of the death of, and the life and the resurrection of Christ, if you place your hope and your faith into that, when you're put on the scale, you're found glorious. Not because of what you've done, but because of the mighty work of the cross and what the cross does. You see, the cross tips the scales. The cross is what shows us that we're no longer wanting. Not because of anything you've done. you see there's two proud kings almost that live back to back we've looked in depth at king nebuchadnezzar he was a proud arrogant man was he not you remember last uh week we looked at what he said right before he became this crazy lunatic of an animal he said look at all that i've done that's what Belshazzar was doing in the palace that day look at all this that i've done And remember in that moment that God comes in, he gives an opportunity for both men to humble themselves or to to be humiliated. And through humiliation, King Nebuchadnezzar comes to know God. I believe that you and I will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because of chapter 5. But here's that very same opportunity for Belshazzar to humble himself. He'd already been humiliated I mean, I don't know how much worse it can get than being in front of a few thousand people and you wet yourself. I don't know how much uh, more disgraceful that can be. And yet in his pride and his arrogance, he doesn't humble himself. And that very night, God stuck to his word and said, your days are numbered, you've been found wanting, and your kingdom will be divided. You see, unlike King Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't have seven years to repent. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had seven years to humble himself under the mighty hand of God. Not Belshazzar. Most likely, he had hours or minutes to humble himself. And, and my great fear is we don't see ourselves like Belshazzar, we see ourselves like Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, I got time. I got time. I got time to live how I want, and then at the last moment I can repent, and, and then I won't be failed, found wanting. I got all this time. But there's only one person that knows the numbers of your days. It's not you, and it's not me. It's not the church. It's God himself. Because God is sovereign and in control of all things, even how long you live. And church, you may not have this afternoon to repent you may not have this evening to repent you may have this very moment today before you leave the church because i know this to be true god has numbered your days god has numbered my days and my great hope for us is that we don't look at ourselves like nebuchadnezzar and have all this time that we look at ourselves like belshazzar and say man it's time today to get it right It's time in this moment to get it right before God. If you don't know Christ tonight, today, today is the day. There's no finer day, there's no finer moment to place your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do not wait. Do not think, oh, I can live how I want to live and do what I want to do, and then when it comes time, I'll give my life to Christ, and then I'll live different. You don't know how long you have to live. And then church, the believer in this room. Yes, no one can snatch us out of the Father's hands when we've placed our hope and faith in Him. But God's called us to live a certain way. And that certain way can only happen day in and day out through one word and one word only. It's called repentance. Do not wait to repent. Do not wait to repent. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return from his soul? You see, church, the people of God, my prayer is for all of us that it would be, this would not be said about any of us. You've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. Place your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ today so that the cross tips the scales for you. Let us pray. God, you have numbered our days. And your word is true. Apart from you, every one of us, God, will be put on a scale every one of us, no matter how good we've lived this life. And the scale will say, we've been found wanting. There's nothing, God, that we can do on our own to tip the scales. But you, God, through your son, Jesus, and the power of the cross, has, skipped, has tipped the scales for every single one of us. And God, I, I pray for my own life. I pray for the lives of everyone in here, God, that we would continue to live our life in a life of holiness and righteousness. And we really would live our lives, as lives of worship before holy God out of a response God not out of duty not out of obligation that we should worship you or we need to worship you but we respond in worship because of all that you did for us no greater thing has ever been done for any of us than the spotless perfect lamb your son died on a cross absorb your wrath so that I would not have to uh, to take on your wrath. And because of that, God, I can live a full life, a life of freedom, a life of wholeness. God, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you this morning, that today would be the day that they place their hope and their trust and their faith in you, that you are the God of God's the Lord of lords, who sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believed in Him would have everlasting life and life to the full. And God, I pray for the believer in here that just like Jared sang, and we sang with him, that we would come to You, all who are weary and all who are heavy laden, we'd find rest our souls. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you you shall learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. burden is light God I pray that we would through repentance take off the yoke of slavery and bondage and we allow you to put on your yoke of freedom and joy and peace and righteousness God you'd continue because of your yoke would continue to lead us to live lives of holiness and righteousness God, I pray if there's anyone in here that needs to know you as Lord and Savior, they'd come to me or the deacons. I pray if there's anyone here that is has a heavy laden and a heavy yoke that today they've come before you and you'd remove that yoke from them. Give us great hope and peace. Great God, you are a good God, you are a kind God. May we bask in that today. Praise in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning, you need someone to pray with you, or for you, or over you. I'll be up front, the deacons will be throughout the room. If you don't know Christ this morning, I want to hear uh, about this Jesus that came to set you free please see me or one of the deacons we'd love to share with you the greatest story that's ever uh, been accomplished for you and me.